Good morning, everybody. The Lord said, no man knows the day or the hour. And I'm sticking with that. I'm sticking with that. The only, you know, you can laugh at this and stuff. There's only one unfortunate part of it. I mean, there's a number of unfortunate things that happen. Uh, but um, it, it, it really gives reason for people to dismiss the whole concept of the second coming. And you got people predicting it all the time throughout history, and it never works. Um, and, and so then people are like, associate it all with just sort of the silliness. There will be a time when the Lord will return. We don't know much about the mechanics of that, whatever. But this show does come to an end, and he's going to establish his kingdom. And that's good news. Uh, and it's just sad when it gets trivialized by people making these predictions about this date or that date or whatever. And what really blows me away, though, I'm going to get off it really quick because this is a button of mine, but... He got, this person, God bless him, God bless him. This wasn't the first time he did this. He wrote a book in 1992, entitled 1994, predicting the judgment day on 1994, October 8th, I think it was, whatever. And it's, the book sold really well until October 9th. Uh, <laughs> but see, okay, let's learn a lesson here. That, that doesn't work. But then you have to recalculate a little bit, and all of a sudden now we had another date, and that has come and gone. And you hear accounts of people, uh, you know, liquidating all their, their resources and, or running up their... I hope none of you did this. I really do. Five listeners, I hope none of you did this. Where you charge everything to the max because you think you're going to be gone tomorrow and now you're stuck with it. <laughs> uh, not good, not good. He raised $80 million, I, I, I'm told. $80 million to put all those billboards that you've been reading uh, around the country and around other parts of the world. 80, what I could do with $80 million? I, I, it's something that would really, you know, last, be around on May 22nd. <laughs> It'd be worth something. But there you go, there you go. Uh, there's, there's silliness in, in everything, so uh, you just roll with it. But no one knows the day or the hour. Stick with that one. And no exceptions. <laughs> All right. We, ladies and gentlemen, six years ago, six years ago, in two months and one week, we began a study of the book of Luke, and it's coming to an end today. Today. <laughs> this is the last study. Are you saying we should go through it again? <laughs> you know, there's actually, it ends with Jesus' ascension. I thought last night, you know, it was supposed to happen at 6 o'clock, this rapture thing. And I thought, man, that would be so, so cool if in the middle of it, I mean, you talk about a good sermon illustration. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. So, yeah, at the end of an era is, is, is here. Uh, but it's been, it's been beautiful. It's been an incredible journey. Uh, and it'll be incredible as we pick up uh, the book of Colossians here, uh, probably starting next week. But we're looking at the last four verses of the Gospel of Luke. Yeah, here we go. We, we, we weren't sure we were ever going to get here. Uh, this is uh, entitled God Within. But it's not God within you. It's God with and God in you. But my sermon title team came up with this very clever way of doing it. God with and God in. And nice and succinct. Because what we'll see is this is about God with us becoming God in us. And his name is, as we just sang, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Before I even start, I want to pray here, because there's been such a sweet presence of God. The rain outside sort of symbolizes the pouring of the Holy Spirit as Norm brought attention. And just that simple, the simplicity of saying Jesus, 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 and holy, holy, holy. 
Ah, it ushers in the presence. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would now be present here. I pray for every person who's in this auditorium, every person who will be listening through podcast or television, whatever they're doing, Lord, uh, some may be jogging or washing the dishes or, or sweeping the floor or just laying in bed, but I pray, Lord God, at this moment right here, right now, they'd be present and aware of, the, of your presence the way we are in this auditorium. Lord God, just uh, uh, somehow channel this over through them, Let, surround them with your presence. And Lord, let there be an anointing here. Let this word be your word and quicken our ears and our minds and our hearts to receive it deeply into our lives to be transformed because if, it's, if it stays as information, it's useless. We want to be your people. We want to be your people. We want to be your people. People who are sold out, surrendered, submitted, abandoned to you. You alone ma- matter. And that we want to be your hands and your feet and your eyes, your, your body throughout this world. Do it, Lord. Build your kingdom in this word. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Jesus is up, uh, this is just before he leaves, he says, starting with verse 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. He's referring to the Holy Spirit here. But stay in the city until, the city of Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with the power from on high. You're supposed to wear this thing. Never noticed that until just this moment. You're clothed with it. Are you wearing the Holy Spirit? Are you aware in the power? That's not what I'm supposed to be preaching on, but <laughs> that's a good thought. We'll come back to it. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. That's just a traditional rabbinic blessing. I bless you. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Apparently, he just sort of floated up into space. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed, as he had said, continually at the temple in Jerusalem, praising God. And I want to read one more verse before we get started. Luke is actually a two-volume work. This is the Gospel of Luke, and it was followed by Acts. Luke wrote Acts. And the first verse of the second volume is very informative, especially for what we're talking about here today. Because Luke says, In my former book, Theophilus, this was the person he was writing to and likely the patron of this work who supported it, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Which assumes, then, that this book of Acts, which is the book of the church, is about what Jesus continues to do and teach. And he's still doing it. But this is interesting because, as we're going to see here in a moment, Jesus ascended. He left the planet. He vacated the premises. So how is he continuing to do and teach stuff? Well, the answer, as we'll see here in a moment, is that he's still with us in a different form. And we're going to work out why that had to be that way. I've said throughout the book of Acts that um, it's always good to start with a question. Ask questions. Sometimes you know, God wants us to grow by, by pulling stuff out of Scripture. Not everything's obvious. And so ask questions. Assume nothing. And ask questions maybe that, that uh, no one's asked before. So here's uh, one question that arises uh, from this text. There's actually two questions we're going to be dealing with here. The first one is this. Why did Jesus ascend into heaven? Why? Did he need to travel someplace? Did he have to cross a distance to get to heaven? Does anyone think that heaven is out there as a sort of location? So Jesus is saying, okay, now I'm, I, I'm, I'm like a spaceship. Is, is heaven a, a place you can get to on it by a spaceship? Hey, think about it. When Jesus ascended up into the sky, did he keep on going and going and going? I, I, I for some reason, get you know, this... Song in my head, this is ground control to major tongue. 
I'm floating in my tin can. Is Jesus up there in space? That's the David Bowie back from the... I just dated myself again. He's floating in space. Is he still out there? Traveling to where... Heaven's not a, a place within the time-space continuum, is it? Like a planet out there? It, it's, I'm, I'm assuming some kind of a different dimension of some sort. But then why did Jesus have to physically ascend? Could he have just disappeared? Wouldn't that be, have been quicker? And I assume there's a purpose to everything that's in Scripture. He wasn't doing a cheap parlor trick here. So what is the meaning of his ascending? He's not traveling somewhere. Now, here's the thing. God, whenever he speaks to us, he has got to stoop very, very low. It's like, if you're going to talk to a child, you've got to get it in the mind of a child, right? You're a two-year-old. You can't, you can't go talking the way you talk to a you know, 34-year-old PhD. You've got, to use, you've got to enter their world and think like a little child to communicate to a child. So God has to stoop really an infinite distance when he's going to talk to us. He's got to step into our world. And he's got to like, look at the world from our perspective and speak our language. So you find throughout the Bible, for example, that even though the Bible is divinely inspired... God uses the categories that we use. Uh, You'll find throughout the Bible an ancient cosmology, even though it's divinely inspired. But you'll find that the the Bible presupposes that the earth is flat and it's held up by pillars and the sky is this hard dome and it's holding up a bunch of water and there's windows in that dome. And then he opened up the windows and the rain comes down like it's happening right now. And ancient people thought of the world that way. And the earth is surrounded by waters and there's these sea monsters in the waters, Leviathan and Rahab and these others. And see... God assumes that framework in order to teach spiritual truths. Because if God was going to try to correct their science, he could never get the spiritual truth across. If God starts saying, hey, by the way, E equals MC squared, no matter what else he says about it, glorify God by learning A equals MC squared, it's not going to get through. But if you say, glorify God because he's the one who shakes the pillars of the earth, well, now, now, now they know what you're talking about. You see, so God stoops into our categories and puts on our frame of reference. Ancient people, including the ancient Jews, ancient Greeks, they, they all saw, uh, associated the sky with the heavenly realm. In fact, that's true of most cultures. Up was always good. Down was always bad. God lived up there somewhere. And you find in the Bible the idea that God rides on the clouds and he throws thunderbolts once in a while and he blows the clouds and things like that. Well, God's speaking their language. He's entering into their world. So up was associated with the sky and the heavens were associated together. In fact, in a lot of cultures, they're one and the same word. In fact, even in the Bible, it's not clear when it talks about the heavenlies, whether it's talking about the physical sky or, the, or heaven, because to the ancient people, it was kind of one of the same thing. So, if you're Jesus and you want to communicate to your disciples that you're now going up into glory, going back to your domain as God, going back into the realm of deity, you've got to go up. If he were to just disappear, vaporize, it wouldn't have had any meaning to them. They, they would have thought, oh, this is another one of those disappearance things. Maybe he went to a different location where, you know, uh, out of Jerusalem and Samaria or someplace, but they wouldn't have gotten the point that he is now glorified. And so Jesus ascends. The meaning is still the same for us today. We know that Jesus has been glorified, even though we don't need to take that literally like he had to travel someplace to get there. Because we know that in uh, the universe in which we live, there's no real up or down. I, it's, it's sort of directionless. But we understand what he was getting at. I would, by the way, incidentally, um, for that same reason, be very careful about the one verse in the Bible that talks about Christians going up. I, I, I'd be hesitant about insisting as a doctrine that that has to be literal. Um, I, I think you're dealing with an ancient cosmology there. In fact, many scholars 
uh, argue that even first century people wouldn't have taken that verse. It's in First Thessalonians. It's what this whole rapture thing is, is, is based on. They argue that even that wouldn't have been taken literal. The idea of the air, principality and power of the air, it's not about H2O, it's about this domain of authority. And so we meet the Lord in the air, which has to do with his glory and, and his authority and power. But in any case, I wouldn't make a doctrine out of it. And I certainly wouldn't try to predict when that is going to happen, whatever that is going to look like. So why did Jesus ascend? He was communicating to his disciples that he's returning to a glorified state. Now, the second question, which is the more important one. It's the theological question. Why did Jesus have to leave in the first place? Why didn't he stick around? Why did he stay down here and help us for crying out loud? I mean, it wouldn't have been kind of a nice proof or something. Couldn't he have? I mean, there he is. He's 2,000 years old now, and he hasn't died yet. Doesn't that convince everybody? Wouldn't that have been a positive thing? Why did he leave? <laughs> part of the answer, just part of it, has to do, I believe, with human nature. Uh, there's something about us. Uh, our capacity to screw things up is magnificent. And if we watch a little bit about human nature, we'll see maybe one of the reasons why Jesus didn't stick around. Here's a video clip. It happened two years ago, uh, right around Easter, uh, in the Holy City. In fact, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, Watch it carefully towards the end. This guy's got a wicked right hook. Okay, or left hook, I guess it is. A violent scene erupted Sunday between a group of monks gathered at what millions consider one of the holiest places on earth. This was the scene at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre as Armenian and Greek Orthodox monks began to shove and push one another. The incident flared up as the Armenian monks began a procession commemorating the 4th century discovery of the cross believed to have been used to crucify Jesus. The Greeks objected, saying the march should not begin without one of their monks present. That's when this scene broke out. The church, located in Jerusalem's old city, marks the traditional site of Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Two clergymen were arrested and questioned following the incident. For MSNBC.com, I'm Daryl Brown. (laughs) Who gets to carry the cross of Jesus? Step it up. So much for they'll know we're Christians by our love, all right? <laughs> Scratch that one. When I, when I see stuff like this, hear about stuff like this, I, I don't know whether to laugh or cry, and I want to do both. It, it's, I mean, it's profoundly funny on one level. It's profoundly sad on another level. Here we are in the Holy City, right? In this Holy City. This is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is where Jesus was supposed to be buried. Now, scholars debate whether that's the case or not, uh, but let's assume it is. And now we have got the cross. Supposedly the authentic cross, though I don't know any scholar that thinks that they actually have the authentic cross, but who cares? Here they are gathered to commemorate this, and they start fighting over who's in the procession or who gets to do what. Are we missing the point? This is Jesus' cross. This is where he died to give us an illustration, among other things, about how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to love our enemies. He could have called legions of angels, but he didn't. Why? Because he doesn't like violence. He tells us to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek and to swear off all violence. And so to commemorate him, we get into a fight. What's wrong with this picture? Really? The tomb of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, and a fight breaks out. It's, 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 there's a, a capacity that we have as fallen creatures to create a circus out of everything. We do. We, we, I, God shows up and we find a way of, of turning it into a show and then often into something that resorts to violence. Uh, missing the point here. This is the tomb of Jesus, right? This is the church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is the cross. The main point of the whole thing, isn't it, is that he's no longer in the tomb. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And yet... 
we find a way of enshrining the tomb and building a whole thing around that and then fighting over who gets to walk in the procession celebrating the cross. That's fallen human nature, folks. That's, uh, I, several years ago, I went with a team of folks over to, I guess it was 10, 12, 14 years ago. How long ago was that when we went to Israel? 13 years ago. And we went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And I want to be respectful here. Some people find that church and others like it to be very meaningful. Uh, and, and they're sincere. And God uses everything. And God blesses them. And so that's what it is. But from my perspective, walking into this church, it, it, it represented so much of what I think Jesus would be against. This is my personal perspective on it. Uh, I found part of it to be, I, I had that kind of thing where I didn't know whether to laugh or cry again. I walk in, and the first thing you see is this, this, this slab of rock on the ground. And there are people, this is the, the, called the, the stone of anointing, uh, where supposedly Joseph of Arimathea prepared Jesus' body for burial. I don't know any scholar that thinks that that's probably true, but that's what they believe. And there's people kissing this rock and weeping over this rock and falling down on this rock. And, and I was thinking immediately, I have all these people kissing it. In fact, it was so worn down, they had to put a protection around it because it was getting withered away over the centuries. But imagine the germs. Uh, just, ah! Well, a person came along after a little while and, and, and put some soap and water on it, splashed all these people who were down kissing it, and then I got soapy mouths. But but uh, it was like, okay, this is, this is a rock, you guys. This is a rock. And, and maybe Jesus was prepared there, but, but the point is that he's not there any longer, and they're kissing the rock. Something's wrong here. And then you walk into the, the, the sanctuary, and you got Jesus on this cross, but the cross is all gold. In fact, everything is gold. you got chandeliers everywhere. It was opulent. It was ornate. It was, in my opinion, gaudy. It was just, it, it, it felt like a Christianized Las Vegas or something. You know, neon signs everywhere. And it was just, ah, you know, it, it seems to me that this is exactly what Jesus would not want. And other people are sincere in thinking that it honors him, but there's so much glitz everywhere. And then there was underneath the cross, this hole, a hole in the wall. And you could put your hand in the hole in the wall, and you could touch the rock, some rock or other. Uh, and it was a rock that was on the hill where Jesus was buried, allegedly. And now you get to touch it. And now I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of germs on that one because they're not, there's no one washing that thing off. And they don't have sanitizer when you pull your hand out. And I'm not a germ freak either. My wife is, but I'm not. So I, 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 I reached in and touched the rock. You know, I wanted, is someone going to bite me here or something? But it's a rock! It's a rock! And even if it was within 40 feet of where Jesus laid, why would you want to touch it? See, there's, and then every 20 seconds, 30 seconds, there's somebody coming up to you, one of these priests, and they have a bucket. And it's kind of awkward because they stand there and they want you to put the money in the bucket. And then you do, and then another one comes up a little bit later, and there's buckets everywhere. Under the gold-plated chandeliers, it was just very disturbing. And then, of course, the, the thing is run by two groups here, as you saw in this video, the Armenian priests and the Orthodox priests, and they don't like each other very much. There's a lot of competition going on, which is kind of awkward, because they both want you to give to their particular thing. Oh, what's wrong with the picture here? You see, we have a capacity to turn anything into a carnival. Uh, without the sincerest of intentions, but it's something about a fallen human nature where we, where, where we want to take something that is associated with God, something where God showed up, something where something happened, and we want to enshrine it. We want to put gold around it. We want to make money off of it. We, we, we turn it into a circus. That's on the tomb after the resurrection, after Jesus rose from the dead. What would have happened if he had stuck around? Think of the circus. I mean, at least I submit to you would have been a tremendous distraction in building the kingdom if he would have stuck around. Um, 
Uh, even, even during his lifetime, he had to fight the circus sort of atmosphere. Most of the people who came out to him, there was something like a circus going on there. And, and they had needs, and he was willing to meet those needs. But everyone loves a circus. He's the hottest thing in town. There's rumors about his miracles. There's this, that, and the other thing. So they come out, and, and, and they, they wanna, when he's throwing out goodies, they want to receive some of the goodies. But very few were interested in being disciples. Sometimes Jesus would even call that out with the crowd. He'd say, okay, why are you here? Would you come out to see? A reed shaking in the wind, he says. Watch this. Isn't that impressive? Did you come out to see someone decked out in fancy clothes? Well, if you did, maybe you want to go over to Herod's palace because you're not going to see a whole lot of that. You see, he was calling them out. And then when he gave them some tough teachings, most of the crowd thinned out. Remember that? John 6. He starts giving some teachings about sacrifice and, and, and getting serious with this. And the crowd just went away. Why? Because they like the circus. They like the show. They like the impressive. Or what's in it for me? But when it comes to discipleship, not so much. It's part of our fallen human nature. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is up on the mountain with, with, with uh, uh, James and John and, and Andrew and, and uh, no, Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John, I think it was, and um, he shows a little bit of his glory, his glorified state, he starts to shine, and then Elijah and Moses show up, right, and, and, and then there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son, listen to him. And I think the point of that epiphany was to, the Lord was saying, okay, you've got the law represented by Moses and you've got the prophets represented by Elijah, but now listen to Jesus. Take your marching orders from Jesus. Jesus supersedes the law and the prophets. I think that was the meaning of the epiphany. But they clearly didn't get that. At least Peter didn't. Because what does Peter do? As soon as Moses and Elijah shows up, he goes, let's make some shrines. Let's encase this. We've got to get some tents. Oh, this is good. This is good. This, Moses and, and Elijah and Jesus together, man, let's just lock this in right now. Three tents. This will be the most sacred site on the planet. People are going to come from all over the place. This is tremendous. We will have a God hill right here. Jesus says, oh, yeah, let's get out of here. And head down the Moses and Elijah and Moses book it as well. But see, that's what we do. We try to enshrine things. We try to make a circus out of it. Sell, sell tickets. We've got this here. Ooh, ah. If we don't do that, we try to get Jesus to join on the circus we already got going. People did that throughout his whole ministry too. All right, we got a circus of our little parties and our ways of fixing the world and our little programs and our little candidates. And, and, and we want Jesus to endorse our plans, to join our circus, to empower us, uh, to, to, sh- to throw his authority behind us. And so throughout his ministry, Jesus had people who were always trying to trick him into questions and get him to weigh in on the programs and, and weigh in on deci- the divisive issues. They're still doing that. You see, we want Jesus to join uh, our little program, our little agenda. It's part of our fallen human nature. If he stuck around, we'd still be doing it. In fact, in the book of Acts, I just noticed this this week, the last thing that the disciples say to Jesus, it's amazing, it's just amazing. After the resurrection, he's been around for 40 days. Just before he ascends, their last words are this. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, look at that. They're still holding out hope that he is going to kick some Roman behind and restore Israel. It's like, hey, Lord, are you now finally going to be the Messiah we've always hoped for? Are you going to finally be that military political guy who's going to do what a Messiah is supposed to do? Are you going to now show the world that we are the one nation under God, the one that's anointed by God, and we have a a privileged position? They're still trying to loop Jesus in on their own political programs after the resurrection. 
It's almost like they're saying, okay, Lord, you know, you know that, that you threw us a little curveball there with that resurrection suffering servant stuff. And that kind of freaked us out. We thought you were, but now, now, you, now you're even better than you were before. I mean, now you can disappear and show up some other place. Okay, now you're going to, now you're going to use that power to restore Israel, right? Jesus basically says, I have got to get out of here. <laughs> I'm going. You guys sit, you go back and stay in the city and wait till you receive the power from on high. And, you know, that, then we'll work it out from there. But it just shows you how, how deeply entrenched this fallen, this, this need we have to encase stuff, to enshrine stuff, to put gaudy stuff around it, to, 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 to cash in on it, to get Jesus to work for our agenda. Had Jesus stuck around in his physical form, I think that would have been a major distraction to the kingdom he wanted to build. I'm not sure you could get the kingdom off the ground. If he would have stuck around, Uh, what we'd have here is instead of a people who go out into the world to proclaim the good news, you'd have an attractional Jesus center where everyone's trying to get to the Jesus show. If Jesus had stuck around, every political candidate on the planet would be trying to get his endorsement. If Jesus had stuck around, we'd be constantly fighting. In fact, he didn't stick around. We're still fighting over, over it anyways. But if he'd been here... Well, we'd have people fighting over who gets to sit next to Jesus when he's at this conference or who gets to drive the limousine or, or what nation does Jesus like best or what party does Jesus like best or who gets to sell the, the, the Jesus product line, who gets the copyright to the Jesus product line, uh, who gets to sell the Jesus t-shirts and the Jesus underwear, the Jesus shoes and, and sell the Jesus cars. We'd make a product out of them. We'd make a circus out of them. I don't, you'd have a lot going on if Jesus had stuck around, but one thing I don't think, you, I think you'd have very little of is the kingdom of God. The kingdom that is about people walking by faith and not by sight. The kingdom that of people who are being transformed from the inside out. The kingdom of people who shun circuses but love to serve. The kingdom of people who, who their highest aspiration is to live like Jesus and love like Jesus and serve like Jesus. A kingdom of people who love Jesus not because of the goodies he throws out of the circus, but because he is who he is. If he stuck around for 2,000 years in that physical body, I think that would have been a distraction to building the real kingdom of God. He had to go. He had to leave. And then he says, and this takes us a notch deeper, I've got to go because otherwise we can't send the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that? Jesus has a long discourse starting in John 14 going through John 16 that is about this, the coming Holy Spirit. And it teaches us a lot, I think, about the ascension and why he had to ascend. Here's, here's one passage. He says this in John 16. Look at this. Truly I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, Paracletos, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, they're, they're grieving because he said, I'm going to leave you now. And they're all sad. It's like, oh, you're a best friend. Stick around. But Jesus here says... No, this is really good for you, to your advantage, to your benefit, that I'm going away. Because if I don't go away, I, I won't send the Holy Spirit. But if I do go away, I'll send the, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's called parakletos. The word parakletos is translated advocate here. It can be translated comforter, as it is in some in certain translations. It's one who is uh, an aid or an assistant, one who empowers another or intercedes for another. So Jesus is saying, I will go away, but there's this better in some ways, better thing coming, this parakletos, this comforter. Now, look, look, look at this in, in John 14. Jesus says, when I go away, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another parakletos, another advocate. So Jesus clearly, and here we're getting into the mystery of the Trinity, so expect to accept some mystery. But Jesus is calling the Holy Spirit another advocate. 
but he's assuming that he himself is an advocate. I'm advocate number one. Holy Spirit is advocate number two, or comforter or teacher number two. He will help you and be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth, referring to the Holy Spirit. Now look at this. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. Neither sees him or knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. Who is living with them? Who do they know? The answer is Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, even though the Holy Spirit is in some sense another, a distinct advocate or comforter, he's also me. This is that mystery of the Trinity. And in case there's any doubt about this, he goes on to say, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay, so what what Jesus is doing here is this. He's saying, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send another comforter, comforter. But this is still me. And I'm the comforter who's with you, but I will be the comforter in you. For this next next epic to happen, this, this, this kingdom of God building stage, for the mustard seed to grow... It's not enough for me to be with you. That the purpose for that is going to be suspended for a little bit. I now got to step into you. I, I've got to do a new thing by getting into your life. So I'm a teacher who's with you, but I need to be a teacher in you. I, I'm the comforter who's with you, but I've got to become the comforter who's in you. And though I, I've been empowering you from the outside alongside of you, but I need to empower you on the inside. Because the kingdom of God is all about being transformed from the inside out. For this thing to go and for this thing to grow and for me to accomplish what I need to accomplish, I've got to get the distraction of my physical body out of the way. But I also be, I'll stay with you in a new form. In some ways, Jesus is saying, by going away, I'm getting closer to you. Not just closer to you, I'm getting in you. I'm getting on the inside of you. And there's a new work I'm going to be doing there. And this is, it's got to be this way, he's saying. Now, one of the reasons why it has to be this way, we find reflected in John 14, 12, where Jesus says, Truly I tell you, all who have faith in me, all, every, every one of you who have faith in me, will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Why? Because I'm going to the Father, you'll go do greater works. Why is that? Ask a question. Ask questions. Why? Because you're going to the Father, we'll do greater works? What does that mean? I, I, this verse used to bother me some because I, I used to think, how can you do greater works than Jesus? And how, how do you top Jesus? How do you top the resurrection? <laughs> Try. Eric said go. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can't improve upon that. Sorry. But see, the word megas, we get the word mega from it. It doesn't necessarily mean superior in quality. It can just mean more in quantity. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is this. Because I'm going to the Father, I'm no longer going to be just localized in body number one. Jesus, in all probability, given what we know about first century men, was probably around 5 foot 5, 125 pounds. That's wonderful. He did a lot of good work through that body, but it's one body. He's got two hands to work with, two eyes to work with, two legs to work with, and he touches a lot of people, but he can only do so much because he's localized. He's one body. He's saying, but if I get this body out of the way, it will not only not be a distraction uh, to what you need to do, because I need to send you out, not stay centered on this body, but rather I need you to be the body. Praise God. And so by going away, I'm not going to step into you. And the Holy Spirit that's been working through me to do the works of the kingdom, I'm not going to be doing through you and through everybody who has faith in me. That is why Luke says in Acts 1, uh, the gospel is about what Jesus began to do and teach. 
But the book of Acts, which is the history of the church and is still going on today, it is about what Jesus continues to do and teach. But he's not doing it through a localized physical body. He's doing it now through his global body. And a global body consists of every single person who has faith in him, who submits to him, who puts him first, who seeks first the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit comes and takes residence inside of us. Which means if you are a true believer in God, you've really surrendered your life, you've got Jesus himself, the spirit of Jesus dwelling in you. The same power that was in the incarnate Son of God is now working through us. The power. And it's not just about miracles. In fact, John's gospel has very few miracles. The works of the Father are anything that puts the Father on display. Anything that shows his character. Anything that glorifies him. And now the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ, that localized body, is now in the body universal. You used to have one body. Now he's got millions and millions and millions. Because we are his eyes and we are his hands and we are his feet and we are his mouth. We are the Jesus that, 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 that people come in contact with. And our one job in life is to yield to that Holy Spirit and to say, Lord, have your way. Just work through me. Teach through me. Do your work through me. Put the Father on display through me. By how I love, by how I serve, by how I minister to others. The kingdom of God is not a circus. Never been a circus. It's about, it's about the reign of God. And God does not want us to be building temples and shrines to try to encase him. God wants us to know that we are the temple. We are the temple. The Bible calls us that. God Almighty is dwelling in you, that, that living water that wants to burst forth. God, the kingdom of God is not about riches and gold and glitz and glitter. It's about identifying with the poor. It's not about getting high. It's about getting low. It's not being exalted. It's about coming under people. The kingdom of God is not about a wow factor. Wow. Always be suspicious of wow. Now, God can sometimes do wow, but so can the world. <laughs> And the world really, that's all it's got to run on. When you see a wow, what a great, whoa, whoa, whoo, impressive. Yeah, maybe God's working there, but, but, but be, be careful. There's a lot of carnivals around. A lot of circuses around. If you want to know where God hangs out, as we said last week, he tells us. He, he hangs out in prison. And, and with the, the, the sinners that are the most judged. And the people who are the poorest. And the people who are the most marginalized and the outsiders. That's where he hangs out. And there's not a lot of wow about that. Ooh, impressive. No, no. Jesus moves in the opposite direction. The kingdom of God is not about a superstar. Whenever there's superstars, be worried a little bit. God can still use them, but he's not into superstar. That's why he took his body superstar out of the equation. He's into super servant. And he steps into us as super servant to give us a spirit of service and humility. And the kingdom of God, as we've seen throughout the Gospel of Luke, the kingdom of God is not about getting power over people. That's the world. That's part of the circus. We are going to run the world. We're going to fix the world because we are smarter than other people and wiser than other people. And our ideas are the best ones and we're the ones who really care. And those who disagree with us don't really care. That's circus. That's just circus. It's been going on, you know, forever and it'll keep on going on until the Lord comes back, which he's going to do sometime, but though no one knows the day or the hour. No, it's circus. The kingdom of God is not power over people. We've seen this throughout the book of Luke. One of the central themes. The kingdom of God is about power under people. It's the power of giving your life for somebody. It's the power of bleeding for somebody. It's the power of sacrificing for somebody. It's the one power that gets into the heart, that can change an enemy into a friend, that can transform a life, that can turn an unbeliever into a believer. It's the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the paracletos, working in us and working through us as his megabody. The megabody. <laughs> megabody. There's a name for our church. Megabody. Uh, all right, praise God. That's the kingdom of God, folks. That's the kingdom of God. Our job is to yield. We don't crank it out on our own. We just yield to what is already there. The power from on high, to be clothed with that power, filled with that power, yielding to that power on a daily basis. 
so that what Jesus began to do, he can continue to do through his mega body. And that's why he got to take his first body out of the equation for a while. When the time is right, he'll come back and we'll set the whole thing up. Okay, as we close in prayer, I want to invite the prayer team to come up here. And if you have any need whatsoever, I encourage you to come forward and pray with these folks. Everything you share, just know, is confidential. It's not going anywhere. But I encourage you to take advantage of this. Uh, Support Echo Ministry uh, out there with their nice burgers and veggie burgers and stuff like that. uh, And have a nice nice dinner. Covenant Partners, we're meeting back here at 1 o'clock, so keep that in mind. Father, we just thank you for sending the power of the Holy Spirit. God, for you and your mercy and grace and wisdom working in us and through us, thank you for making us your eyes and your feet and your mouth. Lord, help us to always be, as Norm prayed earlier, people who get out of the way to let you do that. Just to get our egos out of the way and our ambitions and our fallen craving for applause and recognition, to get it all out of the way that you can shine. Holy Spirit, shine through us. The fire of your love in Jesus' name. And all of God's kingdom people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and build the kingdom.